0: This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the circuit of success and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today we got on the uh, show Mr. Kwanzo Martin. How you doing, Kwanzo?
1: All right, Brett. How's it going?
0: It's going well, man. I uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. I think you guys got, what, like 49 days left until the first game?
1: Yes, yes. I'm, I'm trying to enjoy them one at a time.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, uh, man, I'm excited to have you here. You know, I think I told you this at the—we uh, had breakfast there not too long ago. But uh, you know, I grew up in a eye fan, man, and now you got my boy Chris Hollander there with you, and now you're at Mizzou. And so, right now, I'm calling myself a Mizzouite fan. Is that right?
1: <laughs> that's all right. We appreciate all the support we can get.
0: <laughs> that's right. I guess you and Chris will just have to turn me to go the other direction and be all Mizzou. Is that right? Yes, right. sir. <laughs> well, uh, well, man. I obviously most of the people probably listening. today know who you are, uh, but uh, why don't you, for those people that maybe don't know who you are, why don't you give us a little background on who Quanzo Martin is and what's made you the man you are today? If
1: there's anything that maybe the man I am today, I have to give a lot of credit to my mom, just uh, just in the growth and teaching me a uh, transition <coughs> from a young man into a man. Uh, all the ups and downs, the trial and errors, and learning from my mistakes, and I think that's the biggest key. I grew up in East St. Louis, Illinois. I was born in St. Louis. I went to East St. Louis Lincoln High School. Then from there, I graduated from Purdue in 95. I played professional ball all over the place. Uh, avellino Italy, I've been pretty much everywhere in the CBA, the NBA, so I had a lot of experience. So now I'm back here in uh, Columbia, Missouri.
0: Now you're back here and you're back home and doing your thing, and you guys got – some high expectations, which we'll talk about later in the show, but uh, again, just thanks for being here today. So why don't you walk us through, and uh, I think people are always fascinated by the world. I know I am. Of what's a typical day, and I know there's no such thing as a typical day in your guys' world, but kind of walk us through, you know, the off season right now. You guys are starting in 49 days. What's the day look like for Quanzo Martin right now?
1: What well, I think a, a normal day. This is recruiting period. September 9th, we started recruiting. So when recruiting time hits us all over the place, I mean, those are two, three-hour nights of sleep because you're on planes, different hotels, recruiting, seeing four, five, six guys a day going into high school gyms uh, in some cases junior college gyms building relationships uh getting in certain areas where we feel like we have an advantage so that is pretty much from sunday i would say to thursday we're always on the road somewhere coast to coast and then you know once friday and saturday hit we're back on campus with our players working out skill development. we have an hour workout on friday hour workout on saturday then you have recruits on campus you have football games on campus a lot of stuff going on but for me, a normal day, I would, I would imagine, I get up anywhere from between five to six in the morning, do my normal prayer, then go from there into the office, return emails, uh, you know, calls, uh, meetings with staff, and, and I don't really have a script, but it's, it's kind of everything's pretty much in the ballpark. Meeting with staff, meeting with our players, maybe breakfast with our players somewhere here and there. Meetings on campus with different people, uh, just on so how we can get better, how, how I can continue to learn. Administrative meeting, and it never stops. But once the season hits for me, meaning when we really start practicing and playing, then I'm pretty much consumed with with, what our team is getting better. And then I've got, you know, speaking engagements here and there whenever I can. But but the focus for me, and I do a lot of that stuff in the preseason. But once uh, we start practicing, for me, the focus is our players and getting better as a team.
0: Well, that's great. And so right now you guys are, uh, I guess, at certain times you can practice, right? There's a lot of those rules and, and things like that when you can practice during the week and how much time the kids can be on the court and all that stuff, so, which allows you to go out and, uh, and recruit, right? Yes,
1: yeah, so and what, what the NCAA does, until your you, official practice starts September 29th, so up until that point, you, you have two hours a week on the floor with them. You have six hours with, with strength and conditioning workouts, but two hours a week on the floor, uh, you can use that however you want to do it. You can do, break it up in 20-minute segments. You can break it up in one hour each day. So it's a total of two hours. So however you want to do that on the floor, which is, is not a lot of time, but it's enough to you know, work out with our guys. But it's not nearly enough time. But with the academic piece, then you also have to take two days off a week, mandatory insane rules for the guys. And once the season starts, you take one day off a week, mandatory. Which I think is good for the players to get away from it, also fresh legs, and to focus on the academic piece, which is most important.
0: Yeah, so I, I would agree. And so let's talk about for a second. I guess that's what I always call being a student of the game. And so if you got the kids right now, you can only be with them for, for two hours. But, and so we don't necessarily need to talk about Mizzou, but let's just talk about life as a whole. I mean, the, the people that are great, right, the people that have excelled at the highest levels possible, they're going above and beyond than when Coach says they need to be there, right? So walk us yes, through yeah. what that means, what that looks like, what, what are the greatest players that you've seen, what are they doing, what, what makes them different.
1: From the standpoint, when the NCAA gives you rules, okay, that's two hours a week you can work on the floor, meaning a coaching staff member and a player or players. That's two hours a week mandatory. That's it, no more. And that's even if a young man wants to come in and watch film and says his two hours a week is up, and he wants to say to the coach, well, I want to come in and get 30 minutes of extra film and watch, which, well, we can't do it per NCAA rules, so he has to get it on his own. And we teach him how to do those things. But I think when you're talking about the separation of a good player to a great player, the hours you yep. put into this game, is exhausting, so now that means a, you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., individual workout on your own, or just shooting on the gun, which is a machine where you get shots up, or ball-hounding machine. And that means coming in at 7, 8, 9, 10 at night, getting shots up, working on your game. And that's when the guys, when you see the great ones separate themselves from the competition, because of the hours and the hours and the hours that they put into it, and it's not a glamorous thing, it's exhausting. I, I used to hate doing it at times, and I guess hate, I got to stop saying it works, I don't really mean hate, but I, I was exhausted it the most doing it. Yes, I mean, just and it wasn't fun. I mean, there was a lot of times for me as a player, I, w- I was not able to go home in the summertime I spent time on campus working on my game in the weight room, getting better watching film. So I didn't have as much time, I didn't spend as much time with my family, my mom, in the summertime because I was consumed with trying to become a better basketball player. And I think that's what you want to do when you want to separate yourself from the competition So. Again, that's that's something you have to give up when you want to be the best. That's a serious sacrifice, and you have to make that decision as a young man if you want to be
0: a great player. Absolutely. So how do you, uh, when when Quanzo Martin hears the word success, what what comes to mind for him? How do you define that?
1: I think when I hear the word success, uh, truthfully, the, the thing for me with success is what I dream and what I envision. Not just as a coach and as a person. If I'm able to see that and reveal that on the outside, you know, because you know, you, you dream about what you want to be and what you want to become as a, as a kid, or even as a coach, what you like for your team to look like. If you're able to get what you feel on the inside and to see it on the outside and it's revealed and and, and people can see that. Like for example, you want to be a good person. People can see that. Not that you need pat's on the back to somebody to say he's a good person. That means all the stuff that you believe in what it means to be a good person. People can see that. And more important for me, my mom is able to see that that my son's a good person. I think that for me, that's success. When you talk about the sport in itself, success is. I think for us, winning the national championship. I think every goal, every team reached for that. Or winning, in this case, winning the SEC championship. I think that's success. But it never stops. So now if you consume, if you have a goal to say, okay, win a national championship, well, then you've got to win two. Down the expectation, you got to do three. Of course, that, that part is understood when you're talking about success. But for me, it's every day just trying to max out everything I have in me. And, and ultimately, in, in the process of all this grinding and exhausting work to try to have a smile somewhere and say, okay, that was a good day, even though some of those days will really drain you, you got to find somewhere to smile and say, that was a good one. I enjoyed it. I'm happy with that day because it would never stop. And the only time it stops is when it's over. And I think, really, when it's over, for me, I don't know if the the pain in some cases will stop because, man, we could have won that game. We would have did this. Man, if this player would have been that. So I think, you know, if I'm blessed to be 60 years old, it will never stop because you wired a certain way to be the best. And I don't know if you ever let your guard down.
0: Yeah, your friend uh, Jackie joyner Kershey was in here talking on the show, and she said... I never trained to be second best. And you think, you know, what she did, and I've heard you talk about her and what she did for people like you and and uh, in East St. Louis. And uh, but you hear that, right? And she she could have trained and she could have given up and not gone to all the extra Olympics she went to. because She was already a legend, but uh, she kept training, and kept fighting to be the best.
1: Well, I mean, you just saw the work she put in uh, with, with Coach Fennoy. Coach Fennoy was her track coach in high school. So we were younger, so we was we would see her train as well as her other teammates. Because again, you know, I grew up with jackie even though she's old i grew up close with her sister so we would see her, her, her train with, with her high school teammates but it wasn't as if we were watching jackie join a cursey we, we were just watching one of the players because they had other good ones you know then you see jackie go on she goes off to ucla uh, she has great success and you know you looked up to her because she was successful more importantly, she was from east st louis you saw the work she put into it and she was always a good person and I don't think she ever lost sight of, of being a good person, being a humble person, even with all her success, and she's still the same way. So when you look at that, you want to be a part of that. And what does it take to be the best? And you saw the time she put into it, and, it, and it, it's not easy. And, and she kept a smile, some way, shape, or form, and keep pushing forward. And that's what I try to look at. I mean, even even in the bad days, you got to try to make them good.
0: Yeah. So when you look at that, like, you know, let's talk about that for a second, because a lot of people like to talk about the glamorous stuff and the success and when we're doing well. But let's talk about stuff when we're not doing well, right? We're we're kind of in the dumps. We all have those days. What do you do to get yourself out of that and, and to get back on the right track so you dealt with disappointment? Maybe it was a, a player that you thought you'd get and they go somewhere else. Or maybe it was you had a bad game and you were playing. But how do you get back on track and say, all right, turn the page, let's go? Well,
1: I always try to say when you're going through tough times, if I made a bad decision or something didn't work out right, you can't allow that to derail your final destination, where you're trying to go, what you want to become, because that's a part of it. And, and for me, The the beauty is when you're going through struggles, and and I've I've always said God gives his best assignments to to his best warriors, and and those assignments are normally tough tasks and going through hard times in life, dealing with difficult situations. So for me, when when I get to those low points, I think there's some tough situation I have to deal with as a leader, as a head coach. So what I always say "Then God, what are you trying to tell me? And let me learn from that. And I really appreciate it, going through tough times, though I don't like that all the time, so I'm not saying that, but I have to learn the lesson in going through it. And so now I always try to take notes. Whenever I'm going through some other situation takes place, I always try to write it down. I put it, I put a date on it. Because if I ever go back to it, how did I handle that situation? Because it'll present itself again, but even not for me, but for someone else. And and it's my job to help them go through it because you're not going to go through, uh, without situation without difficulties you have to learn right. from it and we we'll always try to do and i tell our, our players we got to have structure and we got to have strength because we'll go through things so you got to have a level of discipline a level of focus mental toughness as well as some fighting you because you will go through so let's let's have the structure to have balance and let's have the strength to be able to go through it
0: yeah i think it's naive on all of our parts right to think we're not going to have bad times and, and a good friend of mine, Matthew Kelly, author and speaker guy, and just phenomenal what he does. And he talks about, you know, the state of Florida, 330 days a year or something like that. There's sun, but you know, if you were there for the week when it was raining, or you were there, you know, last week there's a hurricane. I mean, bad things are going to happen, but you just got to battle through and, and get through that stuff to uh, to come out on the other side and uh, be stronger than you were before. So. You mentioned something there that you said you write it down and you put a date. Are you a journal guy? Like you carry the same? You know, I got a black journal that goes everywhere with me. Are you? Are you one of those guys? or What do you do?
1: You know, normally it's not necessarily a journal, it's a notebook. Now, now my notebooks and I, I've, I've kept it for years from the time I became a head coach. Now, now my notebooks now I have one that's uh, more of faith when, when I do my scripture, and my prayer. I, I have several ones like that. So, only thing is in that is faith, Christian prayer, those type of things in that or spiritual things. Now, outside of that, I have notebooks that I have, basketball stuff in, leadership, things I would look for as a coach, things that help your assistant coach develop, grad assistant develop, but it might be some spiritual stuff in there as well. So I have notebooks, some notebooks that have all kind of stuff in it, but then I have the ones that the spirit based stuff, and that's all they have in them
0: and i think too i mean as, as little as that sounds i mean I, for me i think that's a game changer for people right you you go to meetings and you see the guys taking notes and i'm sure you guys go to coaching conferences and different things and the guys that are taking copious notes no wonder those are some of the best coaches out there right the people that are sitting exactly. there not taking notes it's no wonder they're you know mediocre at best <laughs> do you agree i do i mean
1: you, you always learn it and i enjoy learning um uh, And I think it's a beautiful thing where you continue to learn, continue to grow. I just, you know, so even Coach Katie, when I was an assistant coach, a young assistant coach for him, he's a guy he's a Hall of Fame guy. Even when he was coaching, he was constantly learning, he always would write things down. And he would never stop learning. And, and the thing about him, as successful as he was, he would always say, what do you guys think about this? Okay, I like that idea. Okay, let's try this. And he didn't have to do that, but he would always write stuff down. He would always take notes. And I was impressed by the guy with that level of status. And, and I was got guy that played for him now on the staff. I really appreciate that about coach. He would always write it down, and he would say, always give me information because he wanted to learn. He was very successful at it.
0: And, and, you know, growing up watching Gene Kennedy and watching you play basketball there, being, a, you know, like I said, a line fan growing up. But here's a guy, I mean, I, I'd like to know, and it was on my notes today, is what did you learn from Gene Kennedy? Because he's produced eight coaches at the Division One level. I mean, I don't know what the record is, but that, that's that's fascinating, right? So he's obviously doing something right. He's teaching you at a young age as a college player, as a young assistant coach. What would you say are the one, two, three things you learned from him that you'll never forget and take with you forever?
1: Well, the, the one thing that Coach Katie always said, just just try your best, be on time, and play as hard as you can play. And his this thing was always try your best, whatever it doesn't matter. And and to coach credit, if you worked hard and did the right things, he would give you an opportunity. Coach actually started a, a walk on guy and they lost the game to go to the final four against Wisconsin, I think that was in ninety nine. And Coach started a walk on at the point guard position because he earned it. And he did everything Coach asked him to do. And that's the type of guy Coach was. You, you do right, it'll come back to you. But just try your best. And the thing's that we, we used to laugh about it, but, but Coach said there's a correlation between guys that, you know, take care of business on the court and guys that don't take care of business. He said, now I, I can go to each one of you guys' dorm room or your apartment, and I can tell how you play just on so how your, your your dorm room or your apartment looks. If guys' rooms are messy, those guys are not very good players. They don't have discipline late in the game. They'll make mistakes. They'll break down. You know, I go to the guys' hmm. place that they try to clean their rooms up. Those guys, in most cases, have success. Now, we laughed about it, but I kind That's of believed true. it as I got older. Yeah, yeah.
0: You probably heard that saying, too. I can tell you what you value if I take a look at your checkbook, right? If I look at your oh, checkbook, yeah. I'll see where you're writing your checks. That tells me what you value in your life.
1: That's right. And, and you Coach, even, cause you, hear, you hear a lot of people saying it now about the people you hang with. Coaches big on that back then. Who are you hanging out with? I mean, you need to be around your teammates. Who are you hanging out with? That tells a lot about you as a person. It tells a lot about your character. But also, Coach yeah. patient enough with young guys coming in his program because he knew a guy like me coming from East St. Louis, a guy like Glenn Robson coming from Gary in Not that we were bad people, but, you know, oftentimes there's a perception about where people come from. Coach wasn't sure. like that. Coach was a good man. He's an honest man. He's a fair man. And he wanted you to be successful, so he gave you every opportunity to be successful the first time. Yeah, that's huge.
0: So how do you, you know, when you look at the, there's physical preparation, obviously, but, you know, if you guys are in the SEC, I mean, these guys are bigger, faster, stronger than a lot of the people out there, but they're all physically there, most of them, right? And so let's take that, let's put that to the side for a second, because I'm a huge in the mental mind uh, preparedness. So when you hear that, like, what's the mental side of that? Because obviously the physical, you got to be there. But how important is the mental preparation uh, in your guys' world?
1: Well, I think years ago when I played, it was probably a lot easier because we, we didn't have the issue to deal with social media and all that. So you do a lot as young guys. So there's so much information these you guys have access to. So they have to deal yeah. with that, what people are saying about them, uh, what level of player, what star player I'm uh, what, what, what should my game be. And there's so many people that's giving them information. There's, there's more. Because it used to be just when I came out, the high school coach. And that was it. Now there's a high school coach, there's a guy that trains you, there's an AU coach, there's so many other people around that's giving a young man information. If they're not on the same page, on the same team, then that can be tough for a young guy to adapt to. So now what we do, even with our strength coach, he does a great job when our guys train on the mental preparation. They probably do breathing exercise with the lights out in the weight room probably the first, you know, five to seven minutes and just really mm-hmm. relaxing. And this before they start working out. And then they decompress when the workout is over the same way. And just really trying to strengthen the mind mentally, but also to help the breathing. So you yeah. have to do all those things. But I think the, the young men, the ones that have a chance to have a great level of success, regards to that talent level, is the ones that understand the task at hand. What am I trying to do? What am I trying to get out of this? And I think for me, going back to when I was a young player, Coach Katie was saying everything to me about what he wanted from me as a player. I wasn't playing. And then finally, when I went into his office after maybe you know 15 games, and I said, Coach, what do I need to do to get on the floor? And everything he said, he had been saying it before. It was just the first time I really started to listen. And I think that is the big key for young guys that are coming into a program. Again, they've had access to so much information. So many people giving them information. What are they listening to? So now they have to understand that you're their coach. I'm, I would not give you anything to harm you or hurt you. Whatever I'll give you will help you become a successful young man into a man also a successful basketball player so the sooner you take this information the better off we will become
0: that's huge so let's talk about there's expectations right so let's look at from you know whether the person driving down the road is a business guy or or doctor or whatever it may be and looking at it from your lens as a basketball coach uh, and especially for mizzou this year right you guys have high expectations you know whether you read the media or not you, you hear that stuff or guys like me ask you that stuff but how do, you, how do you drown out the noise? So if I'm the business guy and I know there's a high expectation from, say, somebody you got a boss out there, right, and they expect you to do something and you're putting all this pressure on yourself, how do you drown out the noise and stay committed to the vision and the mission at hand for what you've got to get done so it doesn't affect your performance?
1: Well, we always talk to our players to understand the task at hand and what we try to do as a program. And we talk about those things all the time, you know, you're talking about defending, rebounding, play hard. They hear that all the time. On the offensive side of the ball, share the basketball. Play as a team. Play together. Have compassion for your teammate. Understanding what's important about being a team. Understanding your role in order for this team to be successful. So once, once what we talk about with our coaches, once those guys hit the arena, once they come into the facility, outside of anything joking and entertaining and funny, once we take care of the task at hand, whether it's in the strength conditioning room, the weight room, uh, on the track on the basketball floor, they understand what we're trying to do as a program. And the, the accountability piece is the, probably the most important thing because, again, like I said, we go out recruiting as coaches and we come back Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, are three or four days that we didn't see the guys. So what are you guys doing from an accountability standpoint Where you're holding each other accountable to take care of business, to understand what we're trying to do, not just on the basketball court, but in the classroom as well as in the community? Mm-hmm because you represent this program. So that never stops. But as far as expectations, I don't really get too soon with that because, again, it, it changes every. Different guys come in, guys lead. So they have to understand what we're about as a program and the culture of this program. And these are the things that we try to do all the time. And and you'll have ups and downs in that because you have young guys coming from all over the country. And everybody wasn't raised the same way. Not everybody had two parents or, or one parent or grandmother. However they were raised. So it's your job as a coach to help them understand what you expect from them as young men on and off the court as well as in the community. Yeah, that's a big deal.
0: Thanks for sharing that because, I, I mean, that is huge. And I think, you know, we talk about that, right, the water cooler talk at the offices, right, we, we all, we, I think we make a bigger deal out of it than you guys do, uh, which I think is absolutely fascinating. Every athlete I talk to, uh, it's it's guys like me that make a bigger deal out of this stuff. So. I think it's great what you guys do. So now let's talk about uh, the fears you put in your mind. So how many of the fears you put in your mind over your career, again, go back as a player, even now as a coach, how many of those fears have come true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be?
1: I think it's real. I I think it's real from the standpoint of, of, especially with sport, because the most powerful tool, in my opinion, that you have is your mind. So now whatever you feed in your mind, it will become because that's what controls everything. So we always tell our players to have confidence now. I think we're young guys, and dealing with confidence It's a hard, hard thing. You, you see professional athletes struggle with confidence. But the confidence, you, you have to give yourself confidence. You, you can't sit back and wait on the coach to give you confidence because with, with most successful players, the confidence comes in having the opportunity to play in the game and, and to see yourself have success, whatever you perceive that success to be. So now, if you have confidence and you're not playing, and as the second game, you don't play a lot. The third game, you don't play a lot. Do you still have confidence? Probably not, because I, I experienced that. I was a very confident player coming out of East St. Louis High School. When I went to Purdue, I didn't play a lot. I lost some confidence. I, I, I was hesitant to shoot the ball, but I missed a shot, and I didn't play well. I, I was probably coming out of the game. So you lose yeah. confidence. And I had one of my teammates, who's obviously the coach at Purdue now, Matt Painter. He just said, man, you have to play your game, because... If you don't, you're coming out, so you might as well play your game. But there was still a lot I had to learn as a freshman. So now I just got to the point where I'll play the way I know how to play. If I shoot the shot, it goes in. If I don't, I'll still play hard. Because what happened, the part I wasn't listening to, was Coach Katie wanted me to defend and rebound and play hard. He wasn't necessarily concerned about me making a shot. But my whole game, like most young guys, everything is about offense, everything is about making a shot. I'm not successful if my shot doesn't go in. Well, that's not necessarily the case if you do the other thing. So I think with young guys, you got to have a level of confidence. You have to fight yourself for your confidence. You can't allow anybody to take your confidence away from you. And that's the biggest key, that you can't fear anything because when you are sitting there telling your mind, it's a tough times. So I'm afraid to plan this game up. It's okay to have butterflies and have nerves because you want to be successful. I, I, I had nerves. It, it didn't matter who we were playing against, but that was more so for my preparation to be successful, not necessarily who I was yeah. going to. It was my preparation. So I just try to tell young guys, you got to have a level of confidence nobody can take that away from you. You have to fight for your confidence, and it's not easy.
0: Well, dude, I think those nerves, too. I mean, I think, you know, like big meetings we have, I mean, just even in the business world, if you, if you don't have nerves before something, you don't you don't care, in my opinion. <laughs> yes. So I think that, those are normal.
1: I agree with that. I, I say it all the time, you got to have nerves. I think that's more than anything, it's your preparation to be focused, and to be keen and aware of everything around you, so you can make sound decisions. I think that's what makes you successful, because you have to be prepared for it. Yeah,
0: I think those fears too. Sometimes those fears drive us, right? I mean, the fear is a natural body because if we didn't have the fear, you know, people would be driving off the roads and doing all sorts of things. That fear drives <laughs> yeah. us and just keeps us in line with what we need to be doing. I agree with that. And I think now, when you talk about
1: fear, like for example, we have we have some talented young men on our team. So now there's. There's only five guys. and We said as a staff all the time. I said, I said, guys, when November the 10th hits, that official throws the ball up. It can only be five guys on the floor at one time. We have we have 16 guys on the team, 13 guys on scholarship. They can only be five guys on the floor at one time. So now, for me, the fear would come in preparation and getting ready, ready and getting a thousand jump shots up a day. Focus on what I need to focus on. My margin for error off the court. I don't want to do anything where me and the next guy, where, where coach can make a decision with the next guy. His activities off the court were a lot better than mine. He'll probably get the nod. So, so for me, the fear and doing everything right to be successful so I can get that opportunity on November 10th to be one of the starters on the floor. And if I'm not a starter, to be in heavy rotation. So the, the fear right now becomes that my prep, my preparation is heightened. My awareness is heightened. So I'm focused and understanding what I have to do so I have that opportunity to do what I want to do.
0: So what would you tell yourself? If you can go back and rewind ten or fifteen years ago, you could have a one-on-one conversation with yourself. What are you telling? What are you telling that guy?
1: Well, what would I tell myself if I could go back fifteen years ago? That's a good question. I think the biggest key—don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. I think I think that's the biggest key because life life is already tough enough in a lot of areas. Don't beat yourself up. Learn from it, whatever it is, whatever it was. Take notes. Because what happens is sometimes somebody blazes the trail. Somebody has to be the first to go through it. So now you have a blueprint of what it feels like. So give it to somebody else, even though you, you paid a, a sincere cost for it. And it was tough for you to help somebody learn from that mistake. So I just don't beat yourself up. Uh, you know, try to enjoy life. Try to smile a little bit more. Uh, and, and understand there's a big picture. And it's just and really, even on your worst days, and I, I, I say all the time now, That I'm kind of exaggerate. I, I pick a different country. It seems like all the time I just say, on my worst days, nobody in Beijing cares about me. So it ain't that nope. bad. You know? So keep moving forward. <laughs> That's how I try to look at. Just keep plugging along, and it'll work itself right. out. And
0: I thought what you are going to say is, and there's certain parts of the, of the world, too, is, you know, no matter how bad our bad days are, there is millions and millions of people that would change spots with us.
1: Now, you know, that is true. and I used to, you know, when you were young, and I felt like growing up in East St. Louis, so my mom did a great job providing for us. So I'm not saying that, but. I used to say when I was older, when I was in college, that yeah, we were poor, but we weren't poor at all because we had things. Now, when I went to, I became a you know, coach, and I, we traveled in some of these other countries, and I, I saw what poor looked like. I mean, it's a tough, tough, tough environment, so I saw that, saw that. So, I, so, I, so I changed it. I don't say that anymore. I hadn't said in a year, that we were poor because we weren't poor at all.
0: No, we're we're definitely, uh, in, in this world we live in, in our great country, we are, we are blessed, no matter what level yeah. at this point, but... So let's, uh, I, I read somewhere you talked about taking Mizzou to the national and a global brand. And that fired me up when I saw that because, you know, I think most people get, like, a job they're a coaching job, wherever they're at in the world, a, you know, a bank, doesn't matter, but they don't think about going on a national and a global brand. So when you said that, and maybe you don't maybe you remember saying that, I'm sure you do, what's that look like in your mind's eye? What do you, what does Kwanzaa Martin see with that brand going global?
1: I think, I think we're talking about building something that, that'll have legacy and that'll last a lifetime. And what that means is, uh, the, the, the easiest thing to say is to win a national championship. Okay, that part, that's fine. But I just think a brand from the standpoint being a, being in the forefront of, you know, 2015 in November, we had some issues on campus. So now let's that, figure out a way, uh, to get out in the forefront and be a leader, and let's address this. This is what happened. This is what took place. Now I'm not, I'm not here to say who was right or wrong or what happened. We need to talk about that, because oftentimes that's the elephant in the room everywhere you go. But we need to deal with that. I mean, you, you see a lot of, you hear about a lot of situations going on in America as we speak. So let's figure out ways to get out in front of this thing and, and make it right, whatever that is. But in order to do that, we have to sit down and talk about it and address it. And that, there's some tough things that will be said those no, longer when you talk about it. But if you have a, you have compassion, you have a genuine heart, I think you can solve a lot of issues just on that alone. And I think one of the biggest things, in my opinion, that we lack is uh, love. You know, we, we lack love and, and, and that unconditional love and not judge somebody because of how they look or where they come from. Or you think, well, they, they had every opportunity to be successful like this person. Well, that's not always the case because Educational systems all across the country are not the same, so that's not the case. So we can make excuses. Then the other part is most young kids that grew up in tough environments—they didn't ask to be in that environment. They didn't. I, every, I love everything about growing up in East St. Louis, uh, but when I, when I got older, I saw some other places how they were living. I would have liked to have some of those things growing up. So I, I think we have to understand. And you come up being having a legacy, building something that lasts a lifetime. To understand that most young men and women—they didn't ask to be in those situations. So how do we help them become better people and put them in better situations? So now all of a sudden you look up 20 years from now, 30 years from now, the U.S. is a country that it should be.
0: I think, too, and and not speaking for you, but, I mean, you've got all these men on your basketball team that, let's be clear, right, not everybody's going to the NBA, right? And and so you also have this job that you're going to make these people that's going to help the USA be better because of what you're doing for them right now and helping them grow and, and be the best they can be. Not just in basketball, but in life. Well, I
1: think so. And for our guys, we got, we got good guys on our team. And that's that's the one thing I talk to these guys about. You, you, you have to come to grips over reality of the fact that everybody's not going to play in the NBA. But what I'll say to them, that you, you still can be an owner of an NBA team. You can be an owner of an NFL team. You can do that. There's no law against that. So you can put yourself in a position to be successful and do that. And I think these guys have the mental capacity to be successful in that round. But it's just the time you put into it, believe in yourself, fight for your dreams and understand that it'll be hard work. And You have to separate yourself from the competition. And again, when you're trying to be the best, there's a lot of things you have to give up. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's uh, time away from your family and friends and all the resource goals because that means I need to put four or five more hours into my work, take away maybe two or three from my family, which is not an easy thing to do. That's not a good thing to do, but sometimes it's the right thing to do.
0: Yeah, so let's talk now. Turn the page a little bit to building a team, and, and not necessarily I'm not talking about your players now as much as I am the people around you, right? Because I know the team we have, you know, from Tim Hammett to Kate Solberger, John Fisher, Brad Keen, Taylor Knight, right? All the advisors that goes on and on and on. I can't do what I do without those great people, right? And uh, yeah. I'll call one out just because I've known him since third grade. But talk to me about the importance of having a Chris Hollander and the other coaching staff you've got, what do they allow you to do that you couldn't do without them?
1: Well, the the first thing with our staff, and you some really good guys, some good men. So what I try to look for from the staff are guys that are good people, good men. Of course, they specialize in whatever it is they do from a coaching standpoint, just having guys that are good men. So you're talking about Cornell, man. Hunter, Michael Porter senior. so. So for me, the first thing that we talk about with our staff is whatever you want our players to become, you must become it first, or they must see it. I think that is the most important thing, because, because as a coach, you, you're a leader. So these guys will yeah. follow your lead as a coach. So what are you saying? And, and the other thing, one of my great friends is minister. He's always saying. People would rather see a sermon than hear one. So it's your everyday walk as, as a leader, as a coach, and as a man. Because so, these young guys, they see that. So that's the biggest thing. Now you, you, you talk about everybody, the character part, the loyalty, the integrity, all that part is understood. We be able to tell the truth. It's the hardest thing, I think, for coaches. And it, it, it was for me. Uh, I could do it easy as an assistant coach, but as a head coach, you want to be careful because to tell the truth to young guys, you always want to do that, but it's how you say it. You don't want to ever lie to them, but you want to be able to tell the truth. Now, that part is easy, but the hard part is helping them understand it's okay if you struggle. That you you can, you can still get better. It's okay. That doesn't mean you're not a good player. Because a lot of times they hear hard lessons when they get to us, and it's probably the first time they really felt hard tough lessons because of the fact that when they're the best players in high school, everybody kind of, you know, he's good. You don't want to ruffle the feathers too much because all of a sudden a young man transfers or you. Leave your program, so you want to be careful not to say high school coaches don't do their job. So then, when they get to us, it's like these some tough lessons you have to learn. These lessons, so for our coaches to help them understand, we have to give these guys the truth. It's how you give it to them, Uh, because every kid is different and and all respond to the information differently. So it's the way you say it to them, but you want to give it to them. I think that's important. As a coach, it's just good people, good men, guys that understand that when when you first take over a program in in the transitional stages. Don't expect to be like, so it's not about that. It's about being successful with our program. It's about building our program, so don't get consumed with everybody liking you and everything that patting you on the back all this, right, and but Because there will be tough times in transition because you're doing something different. You're saying something different. And you have to make changes. Now you have players that played a lot might not play as much. So it won't be easy. But your goal is to do what you do in order for you to
0: be successful. Like kids' sports advice, right? So as I look around this uh, deal, like when you know when you and I were playing sports when we were younger, it was a lot different than it is today. So for the parents out there that are listening to this, now here's a guy that has is, is played at the highest level. He is coaching at the highest college level he can coach at. What advice would you have for us parents to promote a healthy environment of sports? What advice you got?
1: I think the biggest key, is if you're a parent, if you're coaching the team, that's one thing. But if you're not coaching the team, allow, allow the coaches to coach the team. I think the same way that you allow the teachers in the school to teach the classroom and teach your kids, I think you have to allow the coaches to coach kids. And I think that is very important because it's just not healthy when, when parents are involved and that's not your occupation. For example, with my children, they, whatever sport they're playing, I'm, I'm just a cheerleader at that. And I might say, that you put forth a good effort? And my daughter, in her case, is gymnastic. I don't know a lot about gymnastics, so I'll say, you yeah, a great job. And I'll ask my wife, was that a great job? Yeah, it was a great job. Okay, great job. <laughs> you know, so I'm just supporting. That's it. For my son that plays basketball, it's a little bit different. I, what I'll say, man, is you, that you rebound, play as hard as you can play. And that's about it. But I, I don't get consumed with, you know, beating him up about it because I know how hard it is. And I know he's trying to be successful because he put the time into it. But sometimes your gifts are your gifts. So I think for parents, we we have to we have to be more parents than partners. And I think that's the big I think that's the thing I've seen more since my time as a head coach. I think it used to be mom and dad and the young man and woman, but now it's kind of a partnership. So now the discipline, the things that they need to be taught that the tough lessons to be able to say no, put on punishment for a week and they can't play the PlayStation game, whatever it is, then we need to do that in order to help him be successful in life because I said all the time. First time they start learning tough lessons when they when they get to college boy it's gonna to be a tough life for them and yeah. in, in most cases young men might transfer because that's the first time they have some tough lessons doesn't mean you're a bad player it's just the first time you ever heard the reality and I think that is the biggest key so I just think for parents you you have to be honest with them you have to help the respect to coach your child allow them the job and I, I think what happens with parents in the stands, I see it all the time. They're beating up the coaches in the stands. It's not a good look because that's not good for your child. It goes by in a locker room. The other players know about it. The coach knows them. That's not good. I mean, if you don't like how to coach, coaching, then probably find a new team. I think that's the best way. But it's just hard. It's hard enough for coaches to get 15 young men to be on the same page and they don't need any added negative help, I should say.
0: Yeah. So are you a multi-sport guy? You believe in the multi-sports or do you, uh, what age do you to start focusing on one sport? What's your philosophy on that?
1: Well, in our house, we've always said try to play at least two sports, whatever that is, just try to do two. Now, we had, we, my wife and I, we had stuck to like we said we were, but just try to play two sports, but to be active more than anything. but when they're in high school, they should be able to play them all. Play them all. Just be active because you're right. working all those muscles. uh You're building different relationships. uh And, it's you know, with athletes, and I'm just talking really with our basketball teams, I've been around, it. I think you have a chance to be very successful in life. If you understand, the culture of being in a locker room, being a part of a team, because you have, you know, 16 guys, and they're different guys, different backgrounds, different walks of life, and you you see the good and bad in every guy, the tough times. So you have a chance to be successful in life, CEOs of companies, because you've seen a lot in those locker rooms. So I go back to sports, play all sports, get to know different people, do different things, and we try to encourage our players to to go to the soccer match, go to the volleyball match, do a lot of things, get to know everybody, and I think that's what it's about, but really – I would encourage them to play as many sports as they can.
0: I like that. That's good because you see it now. Yeah, I got you know my boys are 12, 7, and 3, and you see kids already deciding to play one sport, and it uh, I think it's tough. It's tough on people. So now we're gonna. I mean, my friends that know me, I like to talk a little trash, and so um, right. we're not gonna talk. We're not gonna talk trash today, but we're gonna talk about the big game, the bragging right game. Anything you want to say about the bragging rights game? There's gonna be a little more heat this year.
1: Oh, it's always a good game. Uh, we, I think the biggest key for us, I mean, really, I'm not much of a braggart, at least not on the phone anyway, but I, I just... <laughs> exactly,
0: now we're recording the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll start yeah. Recording.
1: No. We'll start talking. I, mean, I mean, they'll be very successful. Brad will do a great job. They have great tradition, great history, a lot of great players. I've had a lot of friends go through there, uh, in all sports, or even just, you know, students, so it'll be fun. I, I think for us, with both schools, we we have to do our job to make that a great event uh, because, in my opinion, that's one of the best uh, days in America. Really, you know, December the twenty third when the game comes on. So we got to do our job to make that a great event.
0: I like it. I like it. I'm assuming my my buddy and my neighbor uh, Dana Howard. You're probably not going to convert him.
1: Oh, that's that's a great friend. We grew up together. I mean, now I know. A few sports <laughs> we played baseball when we were young. and He's very talented. So again, great friend of mine. He's saying he's doing very well. Very successful now. Yeah, he was a little upset with me, but we'll get over it.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. We can still remain friends. And then, uh, just a plug for the SEC tournament, man. I think it's huge for St. Louis. Uh, I'm on the board for the St. Louis Sports Commission and, and we've got a, a, a chance here for the city of St. Louis. For those of you listening locally, uh, in March, uh, we've got the tournament coming to town. And so I think the support for that is going to be huge. Uh, you know, we're competing against cities like Nashville, Tennessee and Kansas City and Indianapolis and and I think we got to come out strong and, and show the uh, SEC what we can do and to be able to host things like that. It's huge for our city. And uh, so any plug you got there, any comments you got on the SEC tournament coming to town? Well, I think it's great to have the, the SEC
1: tournament in St. Louis. St. Louis is obviously a great city. The passion, the energy of the fans. And, again, you, you can talk about the economy. I think that is beautiful. But I just think to have that event there, I think St. Louis fans deserve that passion energy i think mizzou fans will have a lot there I just think you know there's so many teams in this league that travel very well and can't act for a better venue in my opinion
0: well we will see you at the uh, bragging rights game and the uh in the sec tournament for sure and hopefully pick up some more games this year so excited to watch you all uh do your thing and do what you do and i know all the mizzou fans here in st louis and beyond are excited to have you man and i uh, really appreciate you spending time with us any uh any closing thoughts, or where can we, where can our listeners find more Kwanzo Martin on social media or follow Mizzou uh, Athletics?
1: Yeah, you can follow Missouri Basketball on Twitter, Instagram, and I'm not sure about Facebook. You can follow them on those on a big site. Uh, you can also go to the Missouri Basketball page uh, as well, so it should be fun.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for joining me on the Circuit Success Podcast. Had a blast, and uh, best of luck to see you guys this year and the upcoming season.
1: Thanks for having me, Brett.